It's good to be with you again. I'm sure you had a treat with Perry Jones last week. Um, Perry is a preacher's preacher. You know, I, it doesn't get much better than him. You know, and I could listen to him sermon after sermon. And interestingly, um, I had some technical difficulties at home getting ready for this sermon. And so the only way I could prep for today was to listen to myself for three and a half hours. I hope I'm not that boring to you. Uh, my computer just crashed, and so what I wanted to do today was a bit of a summary of where we've been, and is, well, how can I summarize what, what, where I haven't been? Um, but the important thing in any sermon is that we walk away with some sense of growing in our mission not just in our behavior. And that's why I've titled this, Our Reaction to Likes Makes Him More Attractive or, and you can fill in the blank, when we go through the day-to-day -day life, when we go to work, when we take our kids to daycare, when we go to the market, when we deal with other vendors that are helping us with our home or with our business, do they find us attractive? In such a way that they want to know why we're attractive. I'm not talking about our good looks. I know we're all good looking. But do they see something in us that's different because we have let the word of God do something in us? Now, I'd like to start this morning with a passage from Acts in doing our summary. We've talked a lot in our introduction to James, about, oh, I can walk around, about the fact that um, <clears throat> the Jews, the Jewish Christians that he's writing to were from Jerusalem, and after Pentecost, not that many years later, they were forced to disperse because of the persecution that was taking place. And so they went into different parts of the Roman Empire. And being in different parts of the Roman Empire, uh, understand what it's like. For those of you who are upstaters, imagine moving to the Bronx tomorrow. It would be a completely different cultural orientation. Or imagine moving to the Middle East tomorrow. It would be a completely, or California for that matter, you know, it'd be a completely different orientation. And so this passage summarized what the believers were experiencing before they went and were dispersed and what God was equipping them with that they needed to take with them. You know, the persecution was not, oh, God didn't realize that was going to happen, so he had to come up with a solution. He knew it was going to happen. It was a very tool in his hands that caused the gospel to spread and the kingdom of God to be announced. So let's look at this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000. Man, wouldn't you like a revival like that? And understand something. Biblically, in that time in history, when they said 3,000, they were only counting the men. Sorry. It was a different time. So there were at least 
6,000 plus children in a family who came to the Lord in that short period of time. That day, that's a very short period of time, about uh, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the, daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful. As they praised God, people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were being saved. How many of you would like to live like that? That's what, try to get inside of this, wrap your head around it. Thousands of people experience that and live that after Pentecost. And then suddenly their lives are threatened. And suddenly they have to leave their homes and they have to leave the culture that they're familiar with and they become the minority in a different land. And so, God equipped them so that they could take all of that with them. And God equipped them through James, who was the head of the Jerusalem church, addressing the matters that needed to be addressed because they were God's people in a foreign land. And that's where, what I want to summarize this morning. Just, but I want to put it in a context. You know, we all have had glory days at some point, whether it was our own personal salvation experience or whether we were a part of a revival or a renewal that was going on in the church. We've all had that. But it tends to be just a splash in the pan, doesn't it? Unless you understand that God does it for a reason. And he does it for what lies ahead. And he does it to advance the kingdom. And he does it to build the church. And that we are always a people on mission we are not just being sanctified. We are being sanctified for the sake of the kingdom and the advance of the kingdom and the preaching of the word and the preaching of the mission, understanding that this should be our lifestyle no matter where we are. Just think about that. You go in someplace else into a foreign land, you grow so dependent on one another and the fellowship that you share, and the meals that you share, and the worship that you share, because nobody else is doing that, and they're even criticizing you for doing it. Well, that's so important. What about now? Is our fellowship with one another that much of a priority? Is our worship together that much of a priority? If we suddenly announced that there's going to be a Wednesday worship service and a Sunday worship service, would everybody come because we just love being together? Do we have an open door on our house for anyone who might stop by for a meal? Member of the church or not a member of the church? You see, Christianity is not only relational with God, it's relational with one another, and it's a lifestyle. And that's the lifestyle that God wants to enable in us. 
So in that context of what they had experienced and what they were experiencing now, James talks about these topics. And I was very surprised to realize we only did the first chapter and there were 16 different topics. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach on all of them this morning. But you notice I asked you in your bulletin to circle the two or three things that God kind of addressed with you right away while we've been going through this series. But I also want you to be open to what God might want to continue to address today because we're not done, and he's not done with us. We talked about trials and the difference between trials and temptation and, and testing and temptation. Temptation is the enticement to sin. It's authored by the enemy and by our flesh. Trials are the circumstances of life that give us an opportunity for faith, that give us an opportunity to respond to God and respond to one another in a greater way. Do you know we test one another? Do you know my personality tests you? Do you know as husbands and wives we test one another? And that's an invitation to faith. I tell my wife all the time, have faith in me. And more than that, have faith in God that it's going to change. We talked about endurance. You know, we are a very quick society. Everything happens quickly. Nothing is long-term, whether it's a business, whether it's a neighborhood, whether it's a building, Whatever it is, and we get on our phones and, you know, we can get anything right away. But James talks about enduring, meaning when you're having hard times, it might not be over right away. And the key there is looking at, God, what are you doing in the midst of that? Who are you making me? What are you trying to get out of me and what are you trying to put into me? when I'm in that time of trial and I'm in that time of endurance. Endurance goes along with perseverance. Endurance is kind of, and perseverance is, I'm not going to give up. We must persevere, but not just because we're under some kind of trial. We must persevere in our relationship with God no matter what the circumstances are that we find ourselves in. We must persevere in proclaiming the importance and the value and the power of the kingdom of God no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. No matter who you are and what you're experiencing, I want you to know this morning that you have a message And you have a mission because you are in Christ and he will not waste any opportunity that he puts you into. You are his best. And the more we recognize that and stop judging ourselves by worldly standards, the more opportunities we will have. the more opportunities we will have to make him attractive. James spoke about wisdom. Wisdom is simply 
how do I apply the knowledge that I have? We are a knowledge-oriented society, but if we don't know how to use it, it can be a power of destruction. And we see places in our own society where knowledge is destructive. But wisdom and wisdom from God shows us how to use that knowledge in such a way that we make a difference in a positive fashion and make Christ more attractive. Single-mindedness. We live in a society that's full of distractions, don't we? I'm an ADD guy. I have to take medication. I am so easily distracted. Ask anybody who knows me. I can be talking to you about one thing and then a thought goes through my head. Or I used to have a real problem before I had medication. I'd have to prepare a Sunday message and I would kind of circle around my desk and it was just very hard for me to focus in and, and sit down. And then I would sit down, I would start the sermon and oh, we need oranges. And I was off to Price Chopper. We need to not let the distractions of life in in such a way that we are not on mark for the mission. Poverty and wealth. Poverty and wealth. When I say those two words, we right right away think of a class, don't we? That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about the circumstance that people find themselves in. If you're wealthy, it's for a reason. If you're poor, it's for a reason. And God has a purpose in that. And in that, in you living, accepting the state that God has you in, not only will he provide more, but he will make Christ more attractive in your state in life. But if you're living to be in another state in life, you're going to miss that opportunity. We all must be where God has us. And then we talked about doing and obedience and the, the, the biblical idea from the Hebrew understanding of hearing and obeying are exactly the same thing. That they're not different concepts. They could not imagine hearing and not obeying, even though they kind of did that because God had to correct them a number of times, didn't he? which also points to the fact of why we need Christ and why we need his grace and why we need his mercy because we can't do it on our own just because we know what's right. And humility. Humility is our stance before God and before one another that says, he's bigger, the plan is bigger, I haven't got all the answers I'll do whatever he tells me to do. I'll listen to whatever he has to say through you. I'll do whatever he says to do. Not because there's anything great about me, but because he's great. It's our stance before God. And it's not debasing. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm a sinner. Oh, how horrible I've been. Oh, how horrible my life. That's not you. That's false humility. That's having the words of humility and not necessarily the heart attitude. The heart attitude is Father, it's all about you. It's not about me. What's the mission today? Who are we going to see? Who are we going to touch? 
What are you going to do with my kids today? What are you going to do with my wife today? I could give you a list of things you could do with her. You can tell, she's not here today, but you can tell her I said that. That's humility. And then what we do with our tongue. What we speak. There's power. God said, let there be light. There's obviously power in words. And when we speak, there's power. So why go over this summary? Why? Because I want to stir you up to the fact that God might still be working on some of this in us. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. And, And he gives me the opportunity to preach so he can keep working in me. But I think he's still working on these things. And I want to encourage you. to think about how do you make Christ attractive. You want to go to the next slide, Tim? Is he welcoming because people have met you? Or is he angry because people have met you? (laughs) Or is he distant because people have met you? Look at the things that James has already addressed with us and look at that in the context of how we reveal Christ. You can put the wordle back up. Look at it that way. These things say something not only to us, but to the world about who we are and what we're about. And again, you you know, I say this often. I'm not condemning me or anybody else because I don't handle all those things correctly. The point is this, that we are a fellowship of believers who are one in mind and heart. And God has placed within this fellowship what we need to see that and a lifestyle of community accomplished in our lives. The only thing that stands in the way is if it's not important to us. So I'm going to ask you, as we come to communion this morning, to look at that. There is nothing more intimate that Christians can do together than share communion. And Tim, you can put up the communion slide. There is nothing more intimate that we can do. Only us and Jesus and us in Jesus can share this meal. And I want you to know I have experienced some of the most powerful things in community at the communion table. I've seen people healed I've seen people delivered. I've seen people humble themselves in a way that God had been trying to do for years when they realized what this was all about and God did something in them. And I want you to approach communion this morning that way. And also, I want you to leave here before the Lord the things that he's still working on and say, go ahead, Lord. Is it your tongue? Is it gossip? Is it needing to be wealthy or wealthier than you are? Is it spreading rumors? Is it this constant temptation that's there that it just doesn't go away? 
Look at those topics that are in your bulletin. And look at what God is highlighting right now. I'm sure all of us could improve on all of them. But what is God highlighting right now? And come to the table saying, God, this is true about me. This is where I live. You know that. And now I'm willing to look at it with you. And God, please do something. Please do something, God. I need victory. I need freedom. I need deliverance. Not just so that I'm better, but because I can't tell other people about what you've done if I'm not willing to let you do it to begin with. You know, I have a, I go to a, I have a Bible study with my nephew and a friend of his every Saturday morning. And we've been going through Mark's gospel. We stopped at the Last Supper, went through John's discourse, and yesterday we went back to Mark's gospel and talked about the crucifixion. And as we were talking about that, I couldn't talk about it without tears. And not because Jesus endured this horrible, horrible stuff, but because God loves me enough to do that. God loves me enough to change me. God loves me enough to enable me to do the things that I could not possibly do on my own. And that's true of all of us, friends. We celebrate the body and blood of Christ. We celebrate the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood for us that these issues might be victorious issues in each of our lives and that the world might see that. And because of that, Jesus becomes attractive and they come to us and they say, what's different about you? Would you pray for me? I know you're a Christian. What's different about you? Is there something different? Are we showing a welcoming God? Are we showing an angry God? Are we showing a distant God who in our lives, people don't even know he makes a difference. The worst thing, I remember um, finishing up a small group with somebody who was retiring from their job, and there were a number of different people who came up to her and said, you're a Christian. I never knew you were a Christian. And she had worked there for 20 years. Now, I'm not judging her, but would people say that about us? And I'm not saying we have to hit people over the head with the Bible. I'm just saying, do we look more like Jesus than the people who don't know him? Because we've allowed God to deal with these issues in our life. So come to the table this morning knowing that he welcomes us and he wants to allow the word that he spoke through his servant James to become real in each of our lives.